Uh, for those of you joining online, thank you so much for being here. Uh, open lhcag.org. Open your Bibles to Matthew 24. And uh, if I'll give you a little bit of time to fill out that Connect card. If you don't want to fill it out online, please fill one out in, purpose, in person. This becomes my prayer list. But how many of you, when you were growing up, you heard this, uh, uh, that's not fair, I wasn't ready. I mean... I've said it a lot of times. That's not fair. I, actually, I just saw the hand of someone who was a ref for a very long time, refereed sports, especially basketball. And how many times? Have, That's not fair. I wasn't ready. They don't care, do they? Right? I mean, it might work from time to time on the, on the playground. You know, That's not fair. I wasn't ready. And you get a do-over. But it, that doesn't translate into the real world. Like, you know, your property taxes come due. And you're like, that's not fair. I wasn't ready. And they're like, we don't care. And you should have been ready. You had a whole year to get ready. We don't care if you weren't ready, pay up, you know? Uh, or how about, you know, you just like, um, you, you get married and then you realize there's a whole commitment thing going on and you're like, well, that's not fair. I wasn't ready. Well, <laughs> you should have been ready. And here you go right now. Or, you know, at work, deadline comes. That's not fair. I wasn't ready. Well, you were told the deadline has happened. Now it's, you know, it's time. You got to pony up. Or, or how about this? How about matters of war? right? The enemy comes and attacks, and you're like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 that's not fair. I wasn't ready. He doesn't care. That's kind of his point. He hopes you're not ready. How many of you know we're in a battle? We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready to go, because in professional sports, you can't say, I wasn't ready. Well, maybe if you're Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. If I, I, I just, I don't know. That's, I, that's what I heard. I don't know. But anyway, never mind. But here at Lighthouse Church, you hear the word ready a lot because we are a church that has Royal Rangers. We make a big deal about girls' ministries and Royal Rangers. And the, mo the motto of the Royal Rangers is ready, ready for anything, right? Ready to live, work, play, worship, and obey God's word. We're ready for anything. That's our goal. That's our, that's our driving force, right? And every single Wednesday night, you hear the boys talk about how they are alert. A Royal Ranger is alert. Yeah, yes. There they go. See him? But a Royal Ranger is alert. He is mentally, physically, and spiritually alert. Now we say that, but is that reality? Is that really true? Are we really ready? Because as we looked at last week, we talked about the many reasons that we have to believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, that there will be a rapture of the church. He's coming back to take the church home before the great tribulation. He's coming and he could come at any time. And Jesus said, we had better be ready. Well, today we are going to talk about what it means to really be ready for Jesus. And we're going to pick up right where we left off in Matthew 24. So I hope you open your Bibles in Matthew 24, whether you turn them on or open them up. But go to lhcag.org, go to the latest message tab, and you're, you can follow along in notes. You can add notes and then email them to yourself. I think that you'll find that beneficial. And let's pick up in the context, right? We've been learning context, 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 right? So this whole Endgame series started out in Matthew 24. After Jesus had been in the temple, he had pronounced eight woes. And then the disciples came up to Jesus and they're like, oh, look at all these buildings, you know? And he's like, yeah, well... This is all going to be destroyed. There's not going to be one stone left on another. A whole temple, all Jerusalem's going to be sacked. That messed them up. That really messed them up. That was like, whoa. 
So they follow him up to the Mount of Olives where he begins the Olivet Discourse. So they're in that Olivet Discourse. That's what we've been going through. And they ask him these three questions. When, when's this going to happen? When will the temple be destroyed? What, will, what sign is going to indicate the coming, your coming, Lord Christ? What, and what sign will indicate the end of the age? Now, they probably thought they were asking two questions, but they were really asking three, and Jesus answered them. But his answers were severe. They were intense. They were alarming. I mean, he's talking about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilence. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about cosmic disturbances so great that the sun is darkened and the moon is darkened and stars are falling. I mean, horrible things. He's talking about the great coming judgment to end. Then he said, hey, guess what? I'm coming back. I could come back at any time and you better be ready. Now, in light of all of those things, where we left off last week was verse 44 of chapter 24. It says, therefore, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you look what it's there for. What's there for? All of those warnings, all of those things that he said was going to happen. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, in typical rabbi form. Jesus was the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate teacher of truth, and he begins to speak truth. And how does he do it? He tells parables. Why? Because a good rabbi knows that a parable is a great story that teaches and exhorts and comforts and, and, and enriches your life, but you can't get that story out of your head. You memorize it and you mull it over and you mull it over. So he's teaching by parables. Now, I want to make a... Um, an assertion here. Just like we've been seeing all through the 24th chapter, Jesus is saying about, he's, he's explaining all kinds of things that are going to happen in different ages. The age of those who are waiting for Christ's coming to take the church, the rapture, the age of those who will be left here on the earth, and those who will even become believers during the great tribulation, and then after that. Just the same way, these parables are also going to talk to people in different ages, but they have something to teach us no matter what age you live in, okay? So we're going to begin here. We're going to look at two of these parables today, and the first one is the parable of the servants, the parable of the servants. Now, in my opinion, and I'm not alone on this, but in my opinion, this is chiefly or primarily the first direction of this parable is to those who are alive in what we call the church age. That's those who are believing in Jesus Christ and waiting for the rapture, waiting for the church to be, to, to be translated into the Lord's presence. We're waiting for that time. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for the Christ. Amen? We're never told to look for the Antichrist. We're told to look for the Christ. So this is a parable that has a message for you and I. And listen to what he says in verses 45 through 47. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Now, Let's just break out some of the common symbols that are going on here. He says that you need to be feeding the, the, you need to be feeding the household at the proper time. What's the food in Scripture? 
the bread of life. It's the word of God itself is the food, right? So their job is to be equipping the church, to teaching the church the word of God, raising them up in the truth of God, making disciples, yes? That's their job. That's our job as servants, especially those who are uh, gifted to be preachers and teachers and prophets and evangelists and teachers, but it's also the job of the whole church. But Jesus is going to hold us accountable, and he wants us, he expects us to be about that business, and he expects, expects to find us doing that when he comes. So we better be making disciples. But now watch what happens. Verse 48, but if that wicked servant... Well, uh-oh, right there. I just want you to notice we're talking about the same servant. He started out faithful and wise. All of a sudden, he's wicked. Why did that happen? But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And he'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the servant acts wise and faithful because he expects that the Lord is going to return at any time. Now, you can relate to this, especially... Uh, if you grew up anywhere near me, you would know that this was the normal. Uh, this was the normal way that we lived our lives when I grew up. See, my brother and I, we fought every day of our lives. That's just what we did. We were brothers, but we knew that there were certain hours of the day that you would expect that mom and stepdad were not coming home. But if you knew that that hour approacheth, your heart would be beseeched. And you would therefore make yourself ready. You would hide all of the evidence. You would get, you would throw out all that which was broken. You would clean up the blood. You would say, no, no, everything's fine. And we're right, you know, but I got to tell you, there were times when they came home at an hour I did not expect. And the result was horrible. It was not good. I'm still messed up in the head for that. So if you're wondering what happened to you, that's what happened. I wasn't ready when they came home. You see, the faithful servant acts faithful and wise because he's wise and she is wise to know that the Savior could come back at any time. That's why they're acting wise and faithful, right? Well, here's what we're learning from this. This is a principle. I want you to write this down or highlight this, but imminence must have preeminence. Imminence must have preeminence. When you see a whole church or an entire church denomination, which is happening all, almost every day, you hear about another one, a major church denomination is going away from the truth of God's word and is messed up in all kinds of uh, bad behavior, bad decisions, and is walking in sin and all that. It usually starts when they stop believing that Jesus could come back at any time. When you start thinking that, oh, this is just metaphor, this is just allegory, or it's already all been fulfilled, and we're now just already living in the age of the church, and, and this is as good as it gets, and there's no such thing as heaven and hell, and a soon returning king, you are in trouble. Pre preeminent in the church must be the imminence of the return of Jesus Christ. He could come back at any moment. And when we know that, when we, when we know that we have an expectant servant, and an expectant servant is a ready servant. That's why in every age of the church, 
There ought to be a church that is ready for the soon return of Christ. We ought to be expecting him to come back at any time. Now, they're found faithful when he comes. They're found serving one another. They're found loving one another. They're found teaching about Jesus, teaching about salvation, teaching about his soon return. So they are making disciples who are making disciples who are teaching each other that Jesus could come back at any time and we have only this much time. We we might only have this next second to tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we better be about his business because he could come back at any time. We don't want to miss the opportunity, right? So the servant that is faithful is an expectant servant and an expectant servant is a ready servant. So they're found. Now, remember I told you that whenever we're reading the New Testament, we should think Old Testament, right? So if you are one of the disciples hearing Jesus say these words for the first time, if you are one of the disciples that is reading this after it was written, or if you and I are here, if we know our Old Testament, we're going to immediately begin thinking about Ezekiel 34. Because if you know your Bible, in Ezekiel 34, the Lord himself is prophesying through Ezekiel, sending Israel a message. He's actually speaking directly to Israel, and he's saying, listen, you are my shepherds. And you're supposed to be feeding my people. You're supposed to be building them up. You're supposed to be serving them and loving them. But instead, you are only feeding yourselves. That's all you care about is yourself. That's all you're doing is just going after your own desires. And you're neglecting the job that I gave you. So here's what's going to happen. You are all going to be cut off. And I myself am going to come and be the good shepherd. And I'm going to feed them myself. And isn't that exactly what happened? The Israelite people... They, just like you and I do, we become unfaithful and then God himself steps in. Jesus came and he said, I am the good shepherd, right? And so he came. So this is all flowing through their minds. They're like, oh, this is just like what happened to Israel. This is just like what happened. We were supposed to be faithful to teach people the truth of God's word and to teach them how to live right in God's kingdom. But instead, we just started getting selfish and we forgot that the imminence the imminent presence of God could come at any time, right? So next, Jesus tells the sad story. First, he tells us about the faithful and wise servant. Why is he wise? He's wise because he thinks Jesus could come back at any moment. Therefore, he's faithful in doing what God told him to do, what Jesus told him to do. But the next thing that we find is Jesus is showing us a sad decline of this same wise, faithful servant, into a wicked and weeping servant. And so I was a quality systems manager for some time. And so sometimes I still speak in quality. And what I see here that is happening is this is what we call cascading failures. Maybe some of you in in your corporate setting, you understand this, right? Where one thing can go wrong because that one thing you didn't follow procedure or you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And then all of a sudden it was like a domino effect. This thing happened, that thing, cascading failures, right? And so this is what happens. How does a faithful, wise servant go to being a wicked, weeping servant? It all starts with this. He gave up on imminence. He gave up on imminence. He, He says in verse 48, my master is delayed. He no longer expected Jesus to come back at any time. And so do you know what that is? That's actually a loss of love for the Lord. 
And, so, and to prove that, I just want you to write this down or type it into the notes on the latest message page so you can go back and look at it later. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, and that whole passage around there, what you see is that there is great reward for those who love his appearing and great disaster for those who don't. But Jesus said, I want you to be ready. I want you to stay ready because I can come at any time. If we love him, we'll keep his commands. If we don't, we'll neglect them. So he gave up on the imminence. Jesus didn't come back. So that leads to, he beat up his fellow servants. How many of you have been attacked by the gospel Gestapo? You know who they are. They're all like, like all they're, they're fighting over silly things, foolish arguments and all this stuff. And they're tearing each other apart. And the enemy sits back and laughs. Why does he even need to try so hard when we're beating up on each other so, so well, right? It's ridiculous. That's not what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be feeding, serving, caring, sharing the gospel, making disciples. But he gave up on intimates, so then he beat up on his fellow servants. This is first error was against the Lord. The second error was against the Lord's people. Verse 49, he begins to beat his fellow servants. Then he filled up on immorality. Verse 49 again, he eats and drinks with the drunkards. So instead of caring about serving and feeding and making disciples, he's looking for to fulfill all of the evil desires in his own heart. And he begins to act just like the worldly. Instead of being transformed by the renewing of his mind, which comes by when we get ourselves into the word of God, he becomes conformed to the ways of the world. And you can't tell him apart. He's, he's walking with the wicked. This is just like Psalm 1, right? There's a progression where first you're walking with the wicked, then you're standing with them, and pretty soon you're sitting with them. You are established with them, and nobody can tell you apart. So then first gave up on imminence. Then he was beat up. He began to beat up the fellow servants. Then he's filled up on immorality. Where does it end up? He'll be cut up and cast out. That's what the scripture says. He will be cut to pieces and cast out. He'll be decimated. He'll be destroyed. He'll be cut up and cast out. See, first he lost his love for God. Then he lost his love for others. And then he lost himself. And what was the start of all of this? He gave up on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is actually telling us here, don't miss this. Church, Eyes wide open. What Jesus is saying is that it is absolutely crucial that my people who believe in me and say they follow me and say that they, that they are my people, they better know that I can come back at any time. They better hold that as right in front of them. Jesus can come back right now before I even finish this sentence. And I would not be upset. Right? Let him come. Even so, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But here's the thing. Belief births behavior, right? Didn't James say, you show me your faith by what you say, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So if you really believe that Jesus is Lord, then your behavior will prove it. Belief births behavior. Faith motivates action. I'm going to act the way I really have faith. What I really have faith in, I will act that way. And so my behavior then proves my faith. There's a lot, there's like a hush going on in the house right now. 
right? Is this, is this convicting or encouraging? Because I, I want it to be encouraging, but I also want, you know, uh, sometimes I have to be the mayor of Realville and let you know that you can't just say that you believe in Jesus. You have to live like you believe in Jesus, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you, your actions better walk out what you say you believe. And so I want you to note something here. The wicked servant had a lot of things going for him. I mean, he wasn't really that bad when you think about it. He never renounced Jesus altogether, did he? No, he did not. He never stopped believing. He never stopped believing that, that in the Lord altogether. And he never even said that Jesus was never going to come back. He just said he's delayed. That one shift in theological understanding, that one shift of a biblical belief ended in a cascading set of failures that, that left him cut up and cast out. That's all it took was the imminence to be given up on. That's all it, that's all it took. So if, if you quit expecting that the Lord Jesus could come at any moment, his any moment return, then all kinds of things happen. Let me say it this way. When imminence is lacking, the servants are slacking, right? Don't we see it in the church today? In churches that no longer believe that Jesus could come back at any time, first they like back off on being really serious about the word of God. They get more interested about their clubs and what they're doing. They're less interested about reaching the lost and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you move from that to allowing yourself, well, you know, we still have time to, we have lots of time to get ready. We're all good. We can, we can indulge in this. We can indulge in that. We can do this. And then pretty soon you're not only you're not only accepting people that are walking in sin, you're affirming it and you're walking with them. And that's what we see happening in the church today. And it all starts in many cases with not believing that Jesus could come back at any time. Well, here's the thing. Whether you believe it or not, he's coming. Ready or not, he's coming, right? And so you can't, you can't like the atheist can't say, I don't believe in God. And then all of a sudden God disappears. He's still there. So whether you believe it or not, he's coming. The question is, are you all right and are you all ready? That's the title of the message. You know, all right already. But listen, we better be all right and all ready. We better be right with God. And that comes when we surrender to Jesus Christ. You don't have to get perfect to be accepted, but you come to Jesus and you recognize he is the perfect savior and you surrender to him. You let him cleanse you and wash you and forgive you and fill you. And you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you walk after him because when you do that, you're all right because Jesus' righteousness becomes yours and then you're all ready for him to come back. Amen? Amen. So... You've probably heard it put this way, rather than I said, when the, when the imminence is lacking, the servants are slacking, you probably heard it this way. When the cat's away, the, the mice will play, right? And that's what happens. It, didn't we get warned in the scripture? Didn't Paul warn us? People will say, oh, he's so long in his coming. He's not really coming back. And then we give up on the fact that Jesus is coming back. We can, we can pretend that the word of God is not as serious as it is, and then we find ourselves walking in sin. It's a terrible thing. So he expects to find servants when he returns that are dishing up the word of God. Isn't that amazing? What does he say? He says to them, 
hey, when I come back, I want to see you painting. And I want to see you beautifying the church. And I want to see you uh, singing songs. No, the main thing that he says in this passage, I want you serving people the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is our only rule of faith and practice. The word of God is, is, well, let's just read it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God or inspired by God. It is profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. We take that so seriously here that when you see that, you know, whether it's myself preaching or Pastor James or another person that we have, we teach the word of God. We don't just tell you the five ways to be successful in your career. We don't, you know, we don't give you all of this you know, positive mental attitude stuff. This isn't a psychology class. We're here to let the word of God transform our minds. Because guess what? This brain needs washing, amen? And the water of the word is a great cleanser. So that's what we need. So what we find today is the reality of it, if we're honest, the church in the modern world, the modern church, we have a vitamin B deficiency. We are biblically illiterate. It happens all the time. You know, I, I know that many of you have seen videos where people are walking uh, around a church and they're asking questions like, what's the Great Commission? How does somebody know that they're saved? You know, what are the Gospels and all that? And people, are, they don't even know the basics. Why? Because we're so busy entertaining and caring about making sure that the crowd is going to come back next week to make sure that we're pleasing everybody, that we forget that our main goal is to please the one who made us and saved us and is preparing a place for us, right? That's a problem. But here's what I want to say. Thankfully, I see a return happening. Over these past couple of years, I see people returning. I see there's a hunger that is happening. People are beginning to get hungry for the word of God, hungry for the body of Christ, hungry for the spirit of God. They want more of God. They want to be in the game. They want to be about gospel ministry. They want to share their faith. They want to learn more. They want to know more. They want to share more. They want to serve more. They want all those things. But let me ask you this. Is it going to last? Is it going to last? If we don't think that Jesus is coming back at any minute, we're that much, it's that much easier for us to totally give up on it, to totally miss it. Because we don't think Jesus is going to come back. We can get lackadaisical. We can start doing things, and pretty soon stepdad's coming home. I've had, listen, if you've never been lifted up by your hair, <laughs> It's something that you do. That's what happened. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. But listen, will the hunger last? Has your hunger waned? Do you look around and see people are burning bright with a hunger and a passion for the things of God? And you find yourself feeling like you're a sopping wet piece of wood that couldn't catch fire if it was just held right on you. You know how that, listen, those of you who are red hot, you start bringing those who seem to be wet, you start bringing them around because pretty soon they're going to dry out. And then all it takes is a spark. 
And we need this fire to be burning bright because we don't know how much time we have. And there's so many people that we care about, even in our own families, in our own community. God has given us stewardship. He's given us a voice here. He's given us a job to do. He's given us a mission in this chain of lakes region. We are to proclaim the whole gospel to the whole world. We're to share Christ every chance we can, everywhere we can, for as long as we can, because he's coming back. Amen? I get a little excited about that. So he tells this first parable, the parable about the servants. Starts out faithful and wise and says that that servant is wicked. He ended up wicked. Why? Because of the cascading failures. But then he moves on to a parable of the 10 virgins. Now, I am about to make you wonder about me. You're like, oh, I would do that already, Pastor. Too late. In my opinion, the immediate attention of this of this parable is given to the nation of Israel during the time of the tribulation that's in my opinion now we still have much to learn from this but just as we saw when Jesus was speaking when Jesus was speaking is everybody with me is everybody with me I know that there's some distractions so I just want to make sure that everybody is with me so all right so what we see here is that Israel, during the time of the tribulation, I believe Jesus has something directly to say to them. And I'm going to show you why, but we also can learn from it. Now, stay with me. Hang on with me. This, I believe, is to Israel during the tribulation. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. You ready? Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, oh, oh, hey, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, said, say what? <laughs> Talking about. No, that's not what they said. They said, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. How terrifying that is. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, listen, Many assume when you come to this, let's be honest, when we come to this, we read this like Christians in modern Western world, and we just think, well, everything's about us. The world revolves around us, doesn't it? This is all about us. We're the church, we're the bride, and he's the bridegroom, and he's going to take the bride home. And we think this is all about us. But remember what we taught you, context, context, context. What's the context? The disciples asked Jesus three questions. 
Jesus answered them, and it is primarily the focus is what is going to happen with Israel, God's people. So he's still addressing Israel here. Not only that, did you notice that there is a word missing? What word is missing? Bride. The word bride isn't there. What do we have? We have 10 virgins and we have a bridegroom. Matter of fact, this bridegroom appears to have already consummated the marriage and now is coming for the wedding feast. Oh, so you know what that means? He's coming with the bride. Doesn't that fit what we said about the rapture and the second coming? That the, the Lord, our Savior, will come twice. He will come in the air for the church and never set a foot on the earth. He will come again in the second coming with the church and he's coming with judgment to set up his kingdom. So here we have these people. There's no bride here. There's 10 virgins and they're there waiting to attend the bridegroom and they're like, and it's very likely that he's coming with the bride. Now I'm not a, not alone on this. I, I want you to know that every scholar, I've read tons and tons of commentaries on this and every commentator, every Bible scholar that writes about this, that, that takes the word seriously and interprets it literally, interprets it in context with proper hermeneutics, they hold the same view. This is about Israel and the tribulation. I want to just read to you, probably some of you, if you're like me, throughout the years you've been driving about and there's been a Christian radio station on and you've heard J. Vernon McGee, right? Any fun to listen to? Now listen to a quote from him about this says, so here in the parable of the 10 virgins, Christ, pictured as the bridegroom, is bringing the bride with him. And the believers on earth are waiting for him to come. When the great tribulation has been going on upon the earth, Christ has been yonder in heaven with his bride, the church. Then at the conclusion of the seven years of tribulation, he comes back to the earth with the church. So this is what's happening here. This is a message to Israel during the tribulation. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying this. Stay with me. I know there's distraction. Please stay with me. Faith must be genuine, constant, and vigilant. Can we just say that again all together? Faith must be genuine, constant, and vigilant. See, some people went with the idea of they were ready to wait and receive the, the Lord Jesus Christ and they were ready to wait a long time. Others just went along. There's a big difference there. Some went to wait and ready to wait a long time to receive the bridegroom. Some just went along. Some were wise and some were foolish. Now watch what they all had in context, in common. All 10 of them had lamps. Yes? All 10 of them went to meet the bridegroom. Yes? Now, they all fell asleep, right? That's true. Okay. But only five had extra oil. Only five had extra oil. Now, in the Bible, in case you don't know, all throughout the Bible, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In whom does the Holy Spirit dwell? Only those in our age, since the coming of Christ is death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit only dwells in those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and follow him, right? And so they don't have this extra oil. So here's, here's what's happening here. The wise, they're going to be welcomed in. But the foolish 
are going to be shut out. The door will be shut out on them. The emphasis here is on genuine devotion to Jesus Christ. Genuinely wanting to receive him and ready for him to come back as both Savior and Lord. See, a lot of people, even in church world, they like the idea of a Savior. I love me some fire insurance, but I don't want, I'm not ready for a Lord, right? I, you know, because if he's going to take control and he's going to have the keys of leadership to my life, I'm not sure I want that. So that's what's going on here. See, I believe that this parable is directly about Israel during the tribulation. What do we know about the tribulation? When you go to Revelation, you will find out that after the church is raptured and the coming of the Lord is, is waiting, the tribulation is being poured out upon the earth, we find out that God raises up two miraculous witnesses and they begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he raises up 144,000 Jewish witnesses that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole world. And, and it's, a, it's a time not only for the salvation of Gentiles, but for many of Jewish people to truly believe in the one true God, the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ, and receive him as Lord and Savior. And what we find in Revelation is that there's a fervor of, uh, of, of Jewish culture. There's a, there's a restoration of, of the Jewish culture and, and the legends and the myths and the keeping of the, of the obedience to the old things. And, and there's just all of this focus is on Israel. And how many of you know, if you've been a part of a revival in a church, a lot of people come along, but not everybody has the oil. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people come along and it might seem like they have the oil, but they, they're not committed and they run out and they end up, you turn, Sunday you look around, where did everybody go? Where did everybody go? They forgot imminence. They quit imminence and they gave up. And so here we have God's promise to restore Israel is being fulfilled during this time and they're walking with him. Now, if you are thinking Old Testament, what do you think when you hear about the 10 virgins? This is my supposition to you. If you know your Bible, especially if you're Jewish and you know your Bible, you remember that in uh, the year 722 or 721, 722, the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern tribes of Israel. The northern tribes of Israel, they rejected God. They rejected true worship. They rejected the temple they went up to the north. They went into idolatry. They started worshiping calves. I've been there. I stood on the site. I stood in the capital of the northern kingdom of Dan. I stood in that place. I stood by this massive altar that they set up. When you walk into the city, there's an altar to a false god, an idol worship that you're supposed to even offer before you even enter the city. This idolatry, they went away from the Lord. All of these people walking away because they are supposed to be God's people, but it was 10 tribes of Israel and they left, they left God. They are now known as the 10 lost tribes of Israel because after they were captured by Assyria, they were taken into exile and their, their records were no longer kept and they are assumed to be lost forever, just become amalgamated in the whole Gentile world and you can't discern them from other people. What do we see? Judah and Benjamin were the two righteous camps of Israel. 
They were the ones who held on and held close. And who is Jesus? He's the lion of the tribe of, right? And so now you have these 10 virgins. They're back in the land. On his first coming, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They totally blew it. They even wanted him to kill him. They conspired against him. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Now they have a second chance to welcome him the right way. Now they get a do-over. They're like, I wasn't ready. Okay, here's another chance. I'm coming again. Are you going to be ready? And what do we find out? Half of them are and half of them aren't. Half of them are and half of them aren't. See, the same warning that Jesus is giving to Israel is the warning that you and I can take because how many of you know Going into church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into the garage makes you a Chevy. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. That's, that's, that's not how it happens. See, these people were in the land and they were doing all the same things that the faithful were doing, the wise were doing, except they weren't wholehearted about it. They weren't all in about it. They weren't really ready to suffer and wait and tarry and let the Lord be the Lord. Instead, they were just going along. They weren't all in. See, it's not the land, it's the Lord. It's not the land, it's the Lord. It's not the church, it's the Christ. It's not the building, it's the Bible, right? We have land, praise God. But it's not about the land. The land is a tool for gospel ministry. That's not the end-all, be-all. The land doesn't have a building on it yet. One day we will. We need it yesterday. Yeah. But we, one day there's going to be a building there. But that better not define us. That better not determine what ministry is. The Bible better be. Jesus better be. And we better be there ready to receive him at any time. Because guess what? He might come before we get it built. What, what was that? <laughs> See, the same warning is for us now. How, how many of us are expectant and how many of us are just existing? How many of us claim citizenship in heaven and we're ready to welcome a Savior but not a Lord? How many of us are filled with the Holy Spirit? We have the oil of the Spirit flowing in us and we're willing to be led by him, guided by him. How many of us are in our Bibles? How many of us are in a small group learning and growing? How many of us are serving on a team, doing the things that God said he better find us doing when he comes? See, it's not a, and this is not a guilt trip. This is a, if you love the Lord, you'd be like, yes, I want to do this. It's not, a, oh man, I have to do it. It's like, I have to do this because I love him and I love his appearing and I love his people. And I love that he wants to use me. I love that he can flow through me. I love that he can bless somebody. I love that somebody can become a follower of Jesus Christ, get saved, and know that heaven is their eternal home because he used me. That's what it's about. See, we're experiencing revival in Lighthouse Church. And I believe it's growing. I believe the fire is beginning to burn brighter and hotter and stronger. And I believe it's ready to spread. But we, here's the thing. Faith must be genuine. It must be constant. It must be vigilant, right? We must be present. We must be patient. And we must be prepared. Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to surrender? 
Are we willing to stay ready? Because believe it or not, ready or not, he's coming. And that could be at any time. So, all right already. It's time to get all right so you can be all ready. And it's time to stay all ready. See, is, is Lighthouse Church all ready? Hey, nobody's perfect. But if we're devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit and we're serving and growing and doing and we're not beating each other up, but we're taking the fight to the enemy and we're bringing love and hope and gospel ministry out there and then we're, we're ready. That's what I want to be about. See, if we're about gospel ministry, we don't have time to waste on foolish arguments and silly grumblings. And we don't have time to even hurt people or be hurt. We have time to say, Jesus is coming back. Let's go share the gospel with somebody. Let's go disciple somebody. Let's go serve somebody. So how will he find us when he comes? Because he is coming back. How will he find us? Will he find us serving the food at the proper time? Will he find us with oil ready? Or will he find us wanting? See, here's the big call today. It's live expecting. Live expecting. If we're expecting the return of Christ, if we're expecting him to show up as we serve him, if we're expecting him to use us, then all kinds of things are going to happen. But I want you to just for a moment, imagine a church that is not expecting. What does it look like when the church is not expecting God to show up? Even to show up in what you're doing and, and to empower it and to make it wonderful. If we're not expecting it, then what, what happens with that? If we're not expecting, then we kind of slack off on the word of God. It's like no big hurry, no big rush. We don't care. And then we begin to say, oh, well, there's no big deal. There's no big deal about um, we can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that because we have time to get ready. You know, we have time. We can just, it's no problem. We just give more time. And then pretty soon, we're not only accepting sin, we're affirming it. Pretty soon, we're walking in it. We're championing it. And we're, we're no longer defined by the word of God. We become defined and transformed and conformed to the world instead of transformed to the word of God and conformed to the image of Christ. So we need to live expecting. But Let's again think about a church that is expecting. Because I think that a church that is expecting, it, when imminence is preeminent, what happens is servants are wise and faithful, right? And, and discipleship is prevalent. And, and we, have, we have to keep starting up more and more small groups because the whole church is getting involved in a small group and studying and growing and learning and they're inviting new people and it's like, we can't even keep up with it. That's what happens when a church acts like, like we're expecting that Jesus could come back at any moment. It, it, faith is genuine and it's constant and it's vigilant and you're constantly being encouraged and encouraging others to walk in that faith and to live that out. You're, you're ready, you're ready for anything, right? And when you live expecting that Jesus can come back at any time, that changes everything. That changes your priorities. That changes your behavior. That changes your speech. That changes your emotions. That changes your relationships. Everything changes when you believe that Jesus is coming back. But if you don't think about it, if you don't keep it at the forefront that Jesus could come back at any time, 
then there's a cascading set of failures that happen and we could find ourselves cut up and cast out. May that never be the story of Lighthouse Church. But listen, we're no better than anybody else. That has been the story and the failure of many churches. The only way that's not our story is we better hold tight to Jesus. We better keep imminence preeminent, right? I'd like you to, to all stand with me for a moment. Just everybody stand as the worship team comes to prepare. I want you to right now just go into an attitude of prayer and ask God this honest question. What does it look like to live expecting for you as an individual? Quit thinking about your husband or your wife or your kids right now. What does it look like for you in your life, in your relationships, in your workplace? What does it look like for you to live expecting? Because if he's coming at any time, then there will be changes. Your behavior will, will be birthed out of your belief. Your faith will motivate action. Now, as you're talking about that, this is not for condemnation. This is for exhortation. So right now, just I want you to, in your, in your mind, I want you to begin praying to God and say, God, help me live expectantly. God, help me live expectantly. Help me to really believe it, really live it, because time is so short. God, the things that need to be brought into a line, into alignment with you, God, today, on this day, I choose to repent of my sin. I choose to start changing the way I think and the way I act. I choose to live expectantly. Here's why I'm saying that. Church, look up here, church. If a church is going to live expectantly, that means each individual is living expectantly. Yes? We are the church. So together, let's exhort one another, encourage one another, and bless one another with a call to live expectantly. Amen? Let's take some time to respond to the Lord.